Good morning. It is working. Good. It is great to be with you again. The last uh, two times I came were both on the summer Wednesday night series, uh, once on heaven and once a little bit on prayer. And uh, today we're starting a four-lesson series that I usually give in seven lessons, <laughs> so we're going to have to hurry. Uh, I'm going to cover all I can, but we can't cover all 950 slides I've got on this subject in only four lessons. So I'm going to give you some overviews, and we'll do the best we can to get the main concepts uh, covered. Let's pray before we start. Father, help us today as we delve into your word. Remind us of the power of prayer, and that you're not the God I used to could. You're the God called I am, because you still do. Use us to your glory. Open our hearts to what you have to say through your word to us today, and forgive our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. This first lesson I like to call uh, Spiritual War in a Physical World. And uh, this journey I've been on started with my book on heaven, and I had a story in the back of it about the atheist at Burger King I met one day, and that led me into a deeper uh, study. So let me just kind of uh, kick this off and throw you some uh, Bible verses mixed in with morning with some uh, strange stories that have happened in my life, and we're going to really hit the scriptures the next three lessons uh, uh, in great rapid succession. There are hints of spiritual warfare all through the Bible, and we haven't always recognized that as such. Remember the little uh, instructions about when streaks are on the walls? God says, I'm going to give you this land, and it's, you're going to harvest crops you didn't plant, and eat fruit from trees you didn't plant, and you're going to live in houses you didn't build. And if any streaks come up on the walls, call the priest and come in and have him inspect them and have him uh, fix that, and then 30 days later he'll come and reinspect it. I kind of went... What do you need a priest for that for? Why don't you call a carpenter? What does the priest have to do with streaks on the walls and mold on the walls? This is uh, Leviticus chapter 14. I did a little research, and it doesn't take much reading on the commentaries and, and research on the culture to find out what was going on. Um, this verse in uh, 37, 38 of Leviticus 14 says, Then the priest will go and examine the mildew on the walls. He finds greenish or reddish streaks, and the contamination appears. To go deeper than the wall's surface, the priest will step outside the door and put the house in quarantine for seven days. And it goes on to say they'll take that part off and repair, and if it shows up again and it keeps showing up, they eventually turn the house into a pile of rubble and no man ever set foot on it again. What does that have to do with the priest? What happened was, you know, we have uh, IRAs and bank accounts, but they had idols of gold and silver, which they hid in their walls. So idols dedicated to local <coughs> demon gods were in the walls of these homes, and God wouldn't, didn't want them living in homes with idols in the walls. So he used mildew and streaks on the walls to reveal where those idols were hidden in the walls, and a priest would come and dig it out and go dispose of those idols. That's what the priest was involved for. It wasn't a construction issue. It was a spiritual warfare issue. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I've written three books, but the last two cover the stories that, that we're going to talk about today and the principles in Scripture about the power of prayer and spiritual warfare. Uh, my search for prayer, Satan hates, and what are the stakes, if you're interested in those. I don't charge anybody to go speak. They let me sell my books and my woodwork to pay my travel expenses. Some churches help me, but a lot of churches can't afford to today, so that's why the stuff's in the lobby. Uh, I mentioned in class, it started with a heaven study, and uh, because my dad died and left this sealed envelope in the safe saying, don't open this if you find this after I'm dead, 
I ended up researching and writing a book on heaven. And I would go to Burger King every, every morning for breakfast by myself to read my Bible for an hour, and I started seeing verses I never saw before. One of them was 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. If a person can't say Jesus is Lord, they're not on our team. That's what it's saying. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Also, 1 John 4 confirms this. Every person who doesn't declare Jesus Christ has come as a human has a spirit that isn't from God. In other words, he's got a demonic spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I call this story the atheist at Burger King. This is a true story. I'm at Burger King one morning at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, which is a quiet place to read. I've also discovered if you read your Bible in a public place, they think you're a preacher. Only preachers read their Bible, I guess. But this guy would walk up, or often people walk up and say, where do you preach? And I'd say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a minister, I'm a business guy. And uh, they'd go away confused. But anyway, one Saturday morning, I'm at Burger King, and this guy walks up, and he says, uh, son, where do you preach? He was a retired professor from Stanford University, you know, that Christian college. Some of you got it. He had a brother in Longview, and he's in visiting his brother for the weekend. And he sees me reading my Bible, and he walks in, and he says, son, where do you preach? And I said, sir, I'm not a minister. I'm just a business guy. Well, he just plops down in the booth with me, uninvited, which is okay, but weird, you know. And he started saying some strange things about the Bible. And I had just been reading those two verses I just showed you, and it's like a little voice in my head said, test those verses on this man. So I, I gently interrupted this guy, I call him Dr. Smith in the book, and I said, Dr. Smith, is Jesus Lord? I didn't say, is he your Lord? That would make it personal, right? I just said, is Jesus Lord? Generically, is Jesus Lord? This 75-year-old man got so angry at that question, he jumped up out of the booth and he started pacing back and forth like a caged lion gritted teeth, screaming at me at the top of his lungs. No, who is Jesus? I don't know who that is. I'm wasting my time talking to you. I looked over and the Burger King workers were like this. And the drive-thru is backing up. They're watching this scene unfold. I looked up at him and I said, Dr. Smith, I want you to know that I am going to pray for you that someday you can know Jesus as Lord. Oh, that really made him mad. He was trembling, and he leaned over, and he stuck his finger in my face, and he screamed, No, don't pray for me. And I smiled and said, I will. <laughs> you can't stop me. I can do it right now. Mm. He turned around, and he stomped out of Burger King, and he slammed that glass door. I thought it was going to break in the frame. And he ran to his car, and we're just watching. By now, they're behind the counter. They're watching him leave, you know, me and the Burger King workers. And he, he backed out, and he put it in gear, and he floored it. He burned rubber to get to the highway, and it's only 50 yards to Highway 80. Out by Kroger, downtown Longview. And it dawned on me for the first time in my life, he is defenseless against my prayers. And he knows it. Or whatever's in him knows it. And right then I said, someday I would like to I'd like to write a book on spiritual warfare. So it led to what we're talking about today. And that book that I was working on was called, it's back on the table, Prayers Satan Hates. And I was sharing a lot of neat prayer success stories from my 30 years in business, and I wish we had time to talk about that. I just some just unbelievably great things happen. You business guys understand what I'm talking about when you're praying that you get enough in for the cash flow so you can 
your paychecks don't bounce, you know, all those kind of prayers. But I was praying that God would give me something that would really help people to put in this book. And this is what he did. One of the elders at my church, and by the way, uh, part of everything I sell goes to help Camp Deer Run. I write a quarterly check based on my sales tax stuff. And the director of Camp Deer Run goes to church with me. So I'm, I'm all about Camp Deer Run. I know you're all about Camp Deer Run. One of the elders at my church in Longview, Pine Tree Church of Christ, called me one day and he said, Steve, I've got this friend, Bill. He's not a Christian. I've been trying to uh, baptize him, bring him to Christ for 25 years. But he's been mad at God about some stuff. He says he has a spiritual warfare problem right now. And you, you're writing on prayer and spiritual warfare. Would you talk to him? And I said, yeah. So I meet Bill and I visit a minute and I said, Bill, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And Bill said, I have demons on my property. And I, I wanted to say, I'm Church of Christ. We don't talk about demons. If we ignore them, they go away. See, that's what we do. I didn't know what to say to that. I didn't know if they were imagined or real, but they're real to him. Because the next thing he said was, I'm getting ready to commit suicide. Just wanted to talk to you first. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What do I say? I, he's telling me all the reasons why there's demons on his property. And it's a long list of weird things. And I'm praying. Lord, he's not a Christian. And he's talking about suicide. How do I help? What do I say? And as soon as I pray, Deuteronomy 6 pops in my mind. Strange verse from the Old Testament, verses around 6 through 10, right in there. It says, uh, you're living in an evil land. By the way, we're living in an evil land again today. You're living in an evil land. Be sure to put my word on your gates and doorposts. What are gates and doorposts for? Protect your family. You shut your gate. You shut the door at night, don't you? It's not because you hate the world. It's because you love your family and want them protected. Gates and doors protect your family. Let me tell you something. God's word protects them better. God's word is more powerful than a gate or a doorpost. So I turned to the guy and I said, tell you what, let's do something crazy. Let's take some tent stakes and put Bible verses on them and stake out your land where this is going on. And see what God does. And he said, okay, I'm willing to try anything. And we did that. And it's a long story. I don't have time to tell you today. But let me tell you what happened. He, he changed. His attitude immediately changed. He said the atmosphere changed. And he showed up at church the next day. And the following Sunday, that elder baptized him. And, and you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm raised Church of Christ. How am I going to write this story and not look weird to everybody? That's what I'm thinking. Believe me, it's, it is, it's weird to even share it now. It's, I feel weird because we didn't talk about demons. We didn't talk about this kind of stuff when I was growing up. I've been in church three times a week since the day I was born. My dad was a missionary when I was a kid in upstate New York. He preached all over central Texas. We ne I never heard a sermon on demons. Also never heard one on heaven. <laughs> heard about hell and it was pretty hot, but didn't hear anything about heaven. And so I'm sitting there trying to write that story where I'm not looking weird, and the phone rings. My wife answers the phone. She's a teacher, and her friend Victoria is having nightmares. And she never had them before until she went on a mission trip. She went overseas on Let's Start Talking. She got home, and now every night at 3 a.m., she's having terrifying demonic dreams. She heard, she called and said, uh, Mary Lynn, somebody told me Steve's next book is on spiritual warfare. Is that true? Yes. Good. I need to talk to him right now. 
can I come over right now? It was a weeknight. She said, yeah, come on over. So she starts describing these dreams, and I'd never heard of anything like that, but let me tell you, it's in Job 4, 13 to 17. Look up Job 4, 13 to 17 when you get home. Let me quote it to you in the New Living Translation. Job 4, 13 to 17 says, It came to me in a disturbing vision at night when people are in a deep sleep. Fear gripped me. My bones trembled. A spirit swept past my face. My hair stood on end. That's Job 4, 13 to 17. That's what Victoria is describing. I don't know how to help that. And she says, uh, Steve, I'm having these dreams. It's every night. I'm scared to go to sleep now. What do I do? I said, well, Victoria, I don't really know. Bill was going to kill himself and said he had demons on his property, and we put Bible verses on tent stakes. She said, okay, I'm going to do that. So she drove to Army Navy. She bought some stakes. She wrote verses all over them. She stood them in the corners of her apartment. She read the verses out loud and prayed for God to make that apartment a safe place for her. And she never had another nightmare. You know, I don't understand that, but I can tell you God's not the great I used to could. He's the I am. His word is still powerful today. And she was so excited that these dreams had stopped. She said, I'm going to tell my best friend now. She hadn't told anybody but me. She scared people to think she was crazy or something. So she went to school and told her best friend all about it. And the best friend was the principal. Next thing I know, they're asking me to come stake out their school. Public school. I said, okay, uh, can we do it at night so we don't get a lawsuit? And they said, that's fine. So we drove out there one night with a, uh, a hammer and four stakes and a key to the front gate and a flashlight. And we sneak in there <laughs> and we put stakes around the property. We read the verses out loud. We prayed at every corner. We prayed for the children, the curriculum, the families, the administration, everybody and everything connected to that campus. And I was just trying to think of something encouraging to say. There were some bad things going on at that school. There's bad things going on at a lot of our schools. And I was just trying to think of something encouraging to say, so right before I left, I turned to those two ladies and I said, let me tell you something. Tomorrow, there's going to be some mad demons because they can't get in here anymore. We just put a wall of God around this place. His word is still powerful. And they said, good, we need it. About nine months later, they called me. I, I travel and speak some, and I'd kind of forgotten about them. And she called one day, and, and I said, well, how's the school now? She said, great. All the problems are gone. It's like a whole different place. I said, really? The whole school? I mean, I'm supposed to have faith, but the whole school is better. Oh, yeah. And I said, wait a minute. There was a man you told me about that was causing most of the problems that worked there. What happened? What, what about him? She said, oh, he, he died. He died? Oh, yeah, he died. I said, was he old? Oh, no, he was in his 30s. Had a heart attack. Now, let me think. Who's in charge of heartbeats? Oh, yeah, it's God. In fact, they said, after the funeral, his mother came to our campus, demanded to see the principal. When the principal came into the lobby, she started cussing and screaming. You killed my son. This school killed my son. We don't know why she thought that because we didn't tell anybody we put stakes with Bible verses all around that school. I still won't tell you what school it was. But people started calling saying, Steve, how much are your stakes? I said, I don't sell stakes. Go make your own stakes. And it was really funny. All the uh, 
how many did you put out? How deep are they? How far apart are they? Are they in the ground two feet or one feet? One verse on each one or many verses on each one? What if your property's not square? What color are they? What are they made out of? All these questions were coming up, and I was just laughing about it. And telling my, I have a men's small group on Thursday. We share prayer requests and stuff. And I was telling the guys, and they turned to me one day and said, Steve, this is a God thing. You need to sell steaks. Paul made tents. You've got steaks to go with Paul's tents. That's, and I didn't want to do it. And they said, no, if it's from God, you can't stop it. But if it's not from God, you can't make it successful. See, you can make your own steaks. I have steaks now because they taught me to sell steaks. But my, they aren't, these aren't magic. But God's word's still powerful. So I started selling more steaks than books. And I started buying two and three and four and five hundred at a time, and I couldn't hardly keep them. And finally, the, the uh, camping company in New Jersey, where I was buying all these steaks, called one day and they said, Mr. Hemphill, we can't keep up with the number of steaks you're buying. You're going to have to get them from somebody else. I said, really? Okay. About two days later, I get a call from Jacksonville, Texas. There's a lot of plastics companies down there. This guy said, is this Steve Hemphill? Yes, sir. Are you the guy putting stickers with Bible verses on tent steaks? I said, yes, sir. He said, we want to make them for you. We make the cups for the Dallas Cowboys games and the words on the bottom of the cup. We, we can do that. We can design the mold for these steaks that have engraving built into the mold so the verses are built into the plastic and you don't have to put stickers on them anymore. And I said, well, that'd be great. How would this work? He said, well, of course, you've got to buy the mold and then we make the steaks for you. And I said, oh, well, I'm in ministry now, and I don't have any salary for being in ministry. How much is a mold? He said, $10,000. And I said, thanks for calling. Have a nice day. And he said, wait, 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 wait. What, what are you doing with all these steaks? And I started spitting out stories. I've got hundreds of stories. People call me every two or three days with another story. Relationships getting better, mental problems improving, uh, health getting better. I, I can't begin to tell you all the stories. And I started spitting a few of these stories out, and he just stopped me. He said, okay, never mind. I'll pay for the mold. I said, what? I said, you don't even know me. He said, yeah, but I know God. And this is a God thing. And I want to be part of it. So now there's 16 verses embedded in the plastic, and they're on every stake. And they're on Amazon now, too. They're called Spiritual Warfare Stakes. And um, that's kind of what they look like. You can see there's... It's just my favorite verses that we picked and put on them about God's promise to protect his people. You either believe God's promises or not. It's just a symbol of the covenant. Now, let me just, let me just say right here, if you're not going to live by the covenant, we talked about the covenant in Bible class. Okay? We have a covenant with God. We're Christians. We follow Jesus Christ, God's son. And, we're in and you put a symbol of the covenant around, it's just an act of faith. There's, nothing, there's no magic in the plastic. But if you're going to put a symbol of the covenant around your house, you better live by that covenant. If I'm a Christian, I got the Holy Spirit, and I start looking at pornography, what do you think the Holy Spirit's going to do while I'm looking at pornography? That wall gets torn down if you're going to put symbols of the, of the covenant you have with God around your house and not live by that covenant. So let me make that clear right up front. And you can make your own stakes. And, of course, I'm pretty conservative. My wife is even more conservative. These stories started happening. I came home and told her. She'd say, honey, that's great. Don't tell anybody, Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about the supernatural, but you know what? The Bible is a supernatural book. You take everything out of the Bible that's supernatural, what do you got left? Not much. Have we forgotten that? Is our faith that small? But I can tell you this has made me a target. Yeah, I must be on the right track because I'm getting attacked. 
And that leads me to the story of Sam. Since I'm dealing with the demonic on a daily basis now, people call me and say, my son's thinking about suicide. Would you talk to Sam, my son? He's a college graduate, got a good job, but he's quit his job, moved home, and he's thinking about killing himself. And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to Sam. This was one year ago. It was right before Mother's Day last year, last year in May. So Sam comes to the house, and we have a couple of Bible studies. I had a trip to Wyoming to speak around Cody, and then I came home on a Thursday right before Mother's Day last year. And Sam calls on a Friday afternoon. Mary Lynn's still teaching at school. She's still there till 5 or 5.30. He calls about 3. He said, let, let me come over for another study. So I, I said, okay. So Sam came over. And in the middle of the study, in my living room, just me and Sam, he got angry. I still can't really tell you what he got angry about, but he was very mad. And he stood up, and he took that glass of water I'd given him and poured it on the floor. And he reared back, and he threw the empty glass at the TV. And I couldn't believe it was happening. It's like being in a movie, you know. And I stood up, and I said, now, Sam, that's just not appropriate. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And his voice changed into a deep, growly thing I can't even imitate. And he said, I'm not going anywhere. And he came at me, and he wrapped his arms around me and started squeezing. And it was hurting. And I, I just watched him come, and I just stood there. And then he was squeezing, and his face is right in front of me. And all I could think to say was, in Jesus' name, get back. And he flew backwards. Nobody there but me and him. Let me tell you, that the name of Jesus is still powerful. He went backwards and he, was, he was, had this shocked look on his face and he walked right around me and he, he walked about, he was this far away, the kitchen sink, he started picking up pots and pans and throwing them as hard as he could throw. And I sat there and watched him come and just veer off. Nothing hit me. I can't explain that. And I realized for the first time in my life I was going to have to call 911. I picked up my phone and I started out and stuff was flying by me on both sides of my head. Never hit me. And I got to the front porch and they answered and they gave him the address. And I started hearing, crash, crash. He was throwing all my furniture through the windows of the house. He flipped a baby grand piano all by himself. Took seven of us to set it up. Long story short, it took the police only four minutes to get there. By the time they got there, he had done $42,000 damage in my living room, dining, kitchen. And you, a lot of you say, I know he had some drugs in his system, supernatural strength. He was tested for drugs. No drugs, no synthetic drugs in his system. By the time the policeman got there, uh, he was back in his right mind, talking normal. He said, Steve, I'm so sorry. Something evil took me over, and I was powerless to stop it. I learned later he had pornography on his cell phone. Pornography gives Satan a right to be in your life. Go delete it off your phones. Go delete it off your computers. It lets Satan into your life. He wrote me a check from his trust fund to pay the damage. I didn't even have to file an insurance claim. I got a brand new piano, brand new floor, brand new furniture, brand new windows, brand new paint. The policeman walked in, and he walked into this crunch, glass, crunch, crunch. And he said, sir, what were you all doing in here? Well, sir, we were having... A Bible study. <laughs> a Bible study? A Bible study. Yes, sir. I never saw a Bible study in like this. And I said, well, I teach on spiritual warfare, and so it sort of makes sense to me. Let me give you a book, and let me give you some stakes. And I explained what I've just told you. 
So he leaves. He just has this funny look on his face. Six weeks later, we have small groups on Sunday night, usually, at my house. Well, we finished up our small group, and there's this knock on my door. And I look, and there's a police car. And I walk the door and open it, and it's him. He's standing there holding my book. And he said, Steve, can I talk to you a minute? And I said, yeah, come on in. How you doing? He said, I'm, I'm great. He said, I just had to come tell you that you said something that day that changed my life. Really? I said, what did I say? I'm going to say it to somebody else. I don't know what I said. He said, well, I had him in handcuffs, and, and I uh, saw your house with the mess, and, and I said, do you want to press charges? And you said, no. You knew his family and wanted to give them a chance to make it right first. He said, I couldn't believe that. I'd never heard of that happening. I went home, and I couldn't get that off my mind. And he said, I want you to know I'm a believer, but I wasn't going to church, and I wasn't living right, but I'm back in church, and I got my life right with the Lord. And I said, well, that's great. He said, I'm, a, I'm on the SWAT team. Can I have books and stakes for the SWAT team? I read your book, and I think you're right on target. Can I have books and stakes for the SWAT team? So I gave him 24 books and 24 sets of stakes. Next thing I know, the Longview Clergy Coalition and the Longview Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance called me and wanted me to come to their board meeting and explain the stakes and what I'm doing with spiritual warfare. And they said, we love this idea. We want to stake out the city of Longview. And I said, okay, that sounds like fun. They said, we want you to do some training first. So I trained at a bunch of different kind of churches around town. We probably trained 150 people. We gave them the basic principles, live by the covenant. You know, you, you know the, you've got to be in God's kingdom if you want to be part of this. And, you know, prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. What's going on in the unseen is happening because of your prayers. And we explained all that. January 7th, this last January 7th, we were going to stake out the city of Longview. Well, we got up and it was 19 degrees. And uh, I said, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to reschedule. Nobody's going to show up at 19 degrees. Eighty people showed up, bundled up, and ready to stake out the city of Longview. There's 30 entrances into the city of Longview. And we read the verses out loud. We put a stake in the ground at all 30 places at the same moment and prayed for Jesus to be king of Longview, Texas, and for the Holy Spirit to come here and work on every heart of every unbeliever and prepare that heart for the gospel. Two weeks later, I'm sorry, one week later, the front page of the paper had an announcement from the chief of police. See, the reason our, these preachers were all interested in staking out Longview, our crime rate is the highest it's ever been. We have more murders, rapes, and robberies than we've ever had before. And the preachers are all worried about it. And so the community's worried about it. The mayor's been worried about it. And so we, we did this staking. The very next Thursday... The police chief said, we have good news. The FBI has called Longview and offered to help us with our crime problem. See? God's word is still powerful. Two weeks later, they had the biggest arrest they've ever had. 17 people arrested, a million dollars in drugs picked up, and 50000 in cash. And I said, see? God's word is still powerful. Two weeks after that, we had two big articles in the paper that big companies were coming to the area. One bringing 1,700 jobs to the area. Another had a $4 million building project and 200 permanent jobs. And I said, see, God's word is still powerful. And then you've heard the storm hitting Canton. And the F3 or F5 tornado that came through, four people died, and the city was torn apart in many sections. And I've been in Longview 35 years, and I've watched every storm come right down Canton, Tyler, Longview, and then turn up in Arkansas. And you watch the radar for that event this last time when Canton had all the people die. It came to the city limits of Longview and wrapped right around our city limits and missed Longview. And I just said, see, God's word is still powerful. And these preachers are all so excited. 
we, uh, two weeks ago, we staked out the police uh, station, the jail, and the courthouse. Watch Longview, Texas. We're not afraid to put God's name on the line to see what he does in Longview, Texas. Now, these are just a couple of pictures of my house. There's the piano upside down. This guy was my size. He wasn't even some big hulk of a guy. Uh, there's furniture hanging in and out of the windows, TV on its back, glass everywhere. And I'm telling you, he just handed me a check. He said, if you need more money, let me know. He had a knife in his pocket that folded out that long. He didn't use it. And he had a lighter in his pocket. He could have lit my curtains on fire, and it'd be a different story today. I didn't get a scratch. He got help. He got uh, a chemical imbalance diagnosed. He wants to be a missionary. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I've talked to him several times since this happened. His family thanked me so much because if I had a press charges, his whole life would be different. This made me re-examine the Bible and rethink spiritual warfare. If these things had happened to you, would you go re-examine what the Bible had to say about it? That's what it did to me. See, we're talking about war. Even though everybody should love peace, Satan is our enemy because of our covenant with God. We talked about it in Bible class. And Satan is set on war. So if we don't learn to fight him, we'll never have peace. That's what this week is going to be about, learning to fight him. This is my definition of spiritual warfare. Things happening in the physical world where we live because of the actions of spiritual forces in the unseen world. And prayer affects the unseen forces, let me assure you. You can pray if you're 8 or 88 or 108. You can pray if you're deaf, dumb, mute, blind, on your deathbed. You can pray and make a difference in somebody else's life. You can pray here and change something in Africa. You can pray now and change something 20 years from now. If I could just pull back the curtain and show you how powerful prayer is, you would pray different. You'd pray more, more fervently, more, more actively, more specifically. I did a four-day thing on heaven. I've got another 800, 900 slides on heaven I do in four days. Someday we'll, maybe we'll do that here too. I did it in East Tennessee one day. And that the last night was Wednesday night, and this little old 85-year-old uh, lady who'd had cancer and was having it again had her walker. She came up to the front, and she said, Oh, Steve, I'm so thankful for what you said about heaven. It was such an encouragement to me. And uh, I just want to ask if you pray for me. I've got cancer again. And I said, Sure. You want me to pray you live or you die? She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we just talked about heaven four days. If I was 85 with cancer again, I'd be asking people to pray that I die. She said, well, let me think about it. I said, well, decide, because I want to use the right words when I pray for you. <laughs> she, she never came back. I don't know. <laughs> now, this is, this is a biblical example of why this is working. So focus for just a second. The woman who had an issue of blood all these years, decided to touch Jesus' robe. I was raised church of Christ. We don't do anything less than a direct command, biblical example, and necessary inference. Where is that here? In fact, she's disobedient. She's supposed to be saying, unclean, unclean, don't touch me, I might get you sick. Worse than that, worse than the fact that she's being disobedient by not yelling unclean, she's sneaking in there trying to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. You know, when Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? She probably thought she was in trouble. She probably expected Jesus to say, you nasty, 
disobedient woman. You know you're supposed to be yelling unclean as a covenant person who's living in obedience, and you weren't doing that, and you're sneaking in here to get out of here. You're not going to get healing. That's what she expected. What did Jesus say? Sister, your faith healed you. Even though there's no verse saying, touch the hem of the garment of your favorite rabbi, and you'll be healed. You follow me? But she decided it would work. She had faith that it would work. She, I think if she'd have said, you know, if I just touch his hem, I'll be healed. Oh, but I'm not going to do it. Let me see if I get healed without touching him. Prayer is us participating in God at work in our lives. And, and an act of faith is what he's rewarded all through Scripture. Think about it. She expected rebuke, and he healed her anyway. Why? Because she took a leap of faith. She decided it would work and acted on that decision. Why did the enemy want us to take down the Ten Commandments? Why? It's because they're a symbol of God's authority and power over the land. They can't stand that. In Oklahoma, they're trying to get a satanic statue put up right by the the state capitol. They want equal time. They can't stand that there's a Ten Commandments there. It's because it's important. Symbols are important. Baptism is a symbol, pretty important. Lord's Supper is a symbol, pretty important. Faith and miracles are connected. Did you know that? Didn't have much faith, so he didn't perform many miracles there. Matthew 13, 58. If you say, well, God doesn't do miracles today, I guarantee you, you won't see any. It's all about faith. He doesn't do miracles. It's not that he couldn't, but he doesn't do miracles when you don't believe in him. What if you say, I'm going to pray, but it won't do any good. What makes prayer powerful? What makes it work? Faith is what makes it work. That's why it works. We've got to believe. The stories I'm going to share this week are going to require faith. And I know some people may not like this, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to tell you what happened. But people started calling me with story after story after story, and it made me keep going back to the Bible and find reinforcement that I'm on the right track with God because I don't want to lead anybody astray. It's very important. But you know, SEAL Team 6 has, has gotten a reputation for what they've accomplished. In fact, I know, I know the uh, grandfather of the SEAL Team 6 commander. He lives in Longview. I didn't know that, he was, that his grandson was the, he's the commander of SEAL Team 6 till this week we were visiting. But see, SEAL Team 6 know it's war, they prepare, and they get it done. Okay? See, I want you to have a new attitude about prayer by the time we finish. I want you to think of prayer as a surgical way to cut to the heart of the problem. You want to live or die? Then that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray you'll die or I'm going to pray you live. Let's decide. Because okay? the words we say matter. Now, I want to mention right now, and this is, uh, I'll kind of end it on this story and then give you a couple of slides just showing you what we're going to talk about this week. Sometimes you can be Abraham for somebody else. Because I already know what some of you are thinking. I've had so many people come up to me. I've spoken now in 120 cities and 14 states and three countries. And I'm nobody, but you know what? God uses nobodies like you and me all the time, all through the Bible. Okay? But here's how, I'm going to tell you the story. This is a true story, uh, how you can be Abraham for somebody else. And you don't need my stuff. You can go do your own stuff. But this is an example. What does that mean, be Abraham for, for somebody else? You have faith for them until they have their own faith. See, Abraham's relationship with God saved Lot when he was living in a place he ought not to be. He's living in Sodom, and he ought not be there. Okay? 
So we're, this story is to help you understand that you can have, you can be their Abraham temporarily and help them back to the truth. So uh, Genesis 19:29, God listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe. There's the biblical proof of what I'm saying. And this story I call stakes in the trunk. I had a, uh, an elder in a, uh, in a Texas Church of Christ call me one day and want some stakes. Found out the whole story later. His daughter had gone to a Christian college, and when she graduated, she decided she was a lesbian and moved in with her girlfriend, got a joint house and joint bank account. She uh, wouldn't return her parents' calls anymore, wouldn't tell them her address. All they had was a phone number. They loved her and prayed for her every day, but she wouldn't even respond when they would text her every week telling her they loved her. And um, so he heard about these stakes with the verses on them and came to my house and got some. And... Um, uh, was hoping to see the daughter at Christmas. So a couple weeks before Christmas, they texted her and said, Honey, will, you, will we see you at Christmas? We'd love to see you for Christmas. And the daughter responded this time, texted back and said, No, I have to work. Wasn't anything they could do. They didn't even know where she lived. So Christmas morning, she called her. And she said, Dad, I have some time off this morning before I go to work after lunch. I'll come over if you still want me to. And they said, we sure do, come on. So she went to the house and they visited and had some food and exchanged gifts. They, they had her something and, and the dad had always taken care of his daughter's car, checked the tires and checked the oil. He said, honey, give me your keys and I'll go check your tires and oil while I'm here. She said, okay. So he goes out there and he hides four stakes in her trunk. He pulled the carpet up, one each side of the carpet in the trunk, pulled it up, put one under each side, and then when you open the lid of the trunk, there's those holes. He stuffed the other two in those holes. You'd never get them out. You know, it goes back down in there. And, and uh, so she left. Nobody knows they're there but that mother and father. They always texted her on Thursday telling her she loved her. The next Thursday, she called them, and she was crying. And she said, I love y'all, and I have missed you. I want to restore our relationship. And they said, well, honey, we do too. But we can't endorse that lifestyle. So the conversation began. And I'm like a, a long story short. Before long, they were talking on the phone every day. And by August, she was ready to make a change. She called them on a Friday morning, and she said, I'm coming home. And I'm walking away from this life and this lifestyle. And I'll be home by midnight and um, I'm throwing my phone away because I don't want this woman to be able to get a hold of me, so I, you won't be able to call me or text me. I'll be home by midnight, and I want to meet you at the church because the first thing I want to do is to be rebaptized as a symbol of my renewed commitment as a Christian. So they call me and ask me to meet them at their church at midnight. Now, I go to bed at 10, so it's a big deal for me to be up at midnight. I can tell you, ask any of the Spencer family, they can tell you I go to bed at 10 o'clock. But I went up there at midnight for this baptism, and uh, the dad baptized her, and we circled up and had a prayer when it was over. And as soon as he said amen, he turned to me in front of his daughter, and he said, Steve, tell her what's in her trunk. <laughs> and I told her what I just told you, and she started crying, tears just going down her face. And she said, I wondered why my car was the only place I felt safe. She never called him from work, and she never called him from home. Now, I don't understand that, except I can tell you, God's word is still powerful. So those stories are going to set the backdrop for what we'll talk about tonight and the next week. Bring a friend. Um, let me skip to 
we're going to talk about how symbols matter. Satanic symbols make a difference in people's life. Pornography is one of those, but there's other symbols you could have around you you need to be careful about. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about demonic attachment to tangible objects, and I'm going to show you verses in the Bible where they had amulets and, and symbols behind their doors to other gods, and God was fussing at them for it, and they wore bracelets and veils to honor other gods, and God, I'm going to show you those verses. We're going to talk about Satan's tackle boxes, the things he used to pull us into his kingdom and away from God. We're going to take a closer look at Ephesians 6 and what it says to do after you've got on the armor. I don't hear anybody talking about that part. What, is, what does that chapter say to do after you put the armor on? No one talks about that. We're going to talk about the power that's in prayer. We're going to talk about following God through tough times. And we're going to talk about demonic harassment in the world today and some strategies of Satan and things that hinder your prayers. Did you know your prayers could be hindered? I'm going to show you the verses. We're going to talk about God's mighty weapons. I used to think prayer in the Bible was it. I've, I'm up to 20. I've got a slide on all 20. We'll try to get to those on Tuesday, on Tuesday night. Somebody here might not be in the kingdom yet. And you know what? Heaven's too good to miss. So if you need prayer, or if you need to be baptized, or you need to renew your covenant with God, like this young lady that I told you, we're going to sing a song for that. We want you to come. Please come forward while we stand right now.